0: It's show 152 of the RIM Pro Report today, the latest industry news, and Vince Femler. Uh, this show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. So I've talked about it a number of times here on the show over the last six months, but we're now just one week away from the infamous O'Neill Partner Conference, I'm going to encourage you, if you live in the West Coast and can get to Huntington Beach easily, or heck, even if there is a little bit of an effort, it would be well worth it to you to get there if you could. I found out last night that there are just a few spots left, so if you can make it happen, there is still room for you. You should head on over to O'Neilsoft.com and find your way to the partner conference details, and then make it happen. And that's what we're going to do today. Make it happen. Welcome to the RIM Pro Report, the one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry, bustling with news, views, and the latest updates. This show is full of interesting information, so take notes. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me, and we're back. Thanks for joining us here on the RIM Pro Report. This week, I'm looking forward to meeting Vince Femmler of Information Management and Securities of Mexico, Missouri. Vince is doing some pretty cool stuff with his RIM business, and I wanted to take some time to get to know him more and what he's doing there at IMS. But before we talk to Vince, I want to get you caught up on the latest industry news. This is cool news. Ray Berry has left Access to join Nade as its chief shred educator and member relations officer. You might remember Ray as the former dean of Shred School from 2005 through 2012 when he joined Access and sold the Shred School brand to Nade, Seems like he's going to be reunited with his baby, but in a much larger larger role and capacity so congratulations to Ray and Nade and I'm looking forward to what unfolds with Ray in his new role going forward. Speaking of access it looks like access is expanding again with a more international transaction. This week, Rob Alston announced the acquisition of Archivo's Abiche Document Center in San Jose, Costa Rica from the Biche family who built and grew the business over the last 26 years. This acquisition complements the Retrievex acquisition of Cigaridoc just over a year ago. I'm working my Spanish here. Looks like access will keep the Retrievex brand name throughout the Costa Rican service area. So congratulations to all involved in that sale. Finally, a nice honor for Iron Mountain. It was ranked 88th on the Information Week 500 list, a list of the top technology innovators. The award was in recognition of Iron's revamping of its customer service processes related to issues resolution, billing, and new customer activation. What's interesting here is the noted improvements. The time required to onboard new customers is now under 48 hours from a previous average of over six days. Navigation of the phone system by customers is now under 30 seconds compared with the previous two plus minutes. So congratulations to Iron on this achievement. And that's all I've got for now. If you've got some news you want to share, please let me know. Alrighty, I'm going to get Vince Femler on the line. Hold tight while I do. Vince Femler is the President and CEO of Information Management and Securities located in Mexico, Missouri. Vince, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, it's it's really great to have you on the show. So where exactly is Mexico, Missouri?
1: Well, you know, great question. Everybody asks that. Uh, we, we're north of the border, um, but uh, we are actually located in uh, north-central Missouri, really uh, about halfway between St. Louis and Kansas City, okay. uh, just north of Columbia.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. So let, let's start with your company, IMS, Information Management and Securities. Can you give me an overview of the services you provide, sort of a a you know 30,000-foot view, if you will?
1: Sure, yeah. We, uh, when we put IMS together, it, it's, it's basically a records management company, but it it's, uh, takes a hybrid approach. So we do everything from document shredding, off-site record storage, uh, scanning, imaging. We sell document management software. We sell scanners. We also have recently signed on to sell Ring Central, which is a voiceover IP cloud-based phone solution. Um, and then we also combine, you know, our record storage with our scanning, which is a little bit unique. So when someone needs a file from their uh, hard copy boxes, we go pull the file and then we scan on demand, push it to you digitally. So we're not transporting physical files back and forth. So it's it's an all encompassing. One-stop shop for all your records.
0: Wow, very cool! So, as fellow Rim nerds, at least on the Rim Pro Report, uh, unlike anyone else in the world, we we like to know what you run and operate. So, um, tell me a bit about your facility, your equipment, the stuff that you're pretty proud of.
1: Well, our facility it's a uh, it's a twenty four thousand or yeah, about a twenty two thousand square foot facility. Uh, It's segmented in. Really, about thirds. We The first third we, is where we run all of our technology, um, our scanning, our service bureau. The middle section is where our record center is, and then our back section is where we do all the shredding. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, we run two different types of uh, a shredding. Uh, we do a strip cut, and we also do cross cut, and they all, uh, from a shred, we feed those into a shred, uh, centralized baling system and and then run those through the baling equipment, hold on to the bales, and then ship those directly to a, a mill for recycling.
0: Okay. Are you running trucks on the road in terms of shred trucks on the road, or is it all plant?
1: It's all plant-based. Okay. It's all plant-based. Very cool. But uh, primarily, you know, the line of scanners we sell are the Fujitsu line of scanners, and, and uh, the main document management software executive level reseller is uh, file-bound.
0: Okay. Okay. Cool so let's jump back into your story because it's the story what intrigues me you graduated from the university of missouri with a degree in psychology what was your intention at that time well what were you thinking
1: well i had full intention of uh growing up and being a clinical uh, psychologist really and uh yeah you know it's one of those things that it seemed like all my life everybody came to me with all their problems (laughs) so so i thought that was a natural fit and uh Always enjoyed psychology, always enjoyed talking to people, and uh, when I finished my degree, I thought, you know, I'm really tired of going to school, and uh, and I just, I jumped into the, the workplace, uh, worked for 17 years uh, in Continental Products, which is a business that my father actually started, and uh, it just, sales was a natural fit for me, and so I developed through the sales channel, through over-the-phone sales, and then on the road sales, and then worked into sales management, sales management, and then eventually took over all the sales. So that's that's kind of how that started, and how I how I went from uh, Mizzou to to the work environment.
0: So the 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 Continental Products, which was your your father's and uh, family business, um, the the sales part of that was that something that you know, that you immediately got sales management job in, or did you have to like work your butt off for years?
1: I had to work my butt off for years. I, you know, I, I actually growing up, you know, I started working there in the summers when I was 16. So I started learning everything in the back part from the warehouse to the production, to everything there. And so it, that gave me a good, you know, base of knowledge of what the business really does. And then when I went to, uh, you know, to college and then came back, uh, I had a pretty good feel for what we did, so selling the product, I started in customer service, hmm. and then uh, just as kind of a liaison between the sales department and the op, uh, operations department, And went from customer service to inside sales, and, and then, like I said, started hitting the road, and I traveled a lot for a lot of years. Really? So, yeah. It was a plane ride every other week.
0: Wow. to so. Wow. So looking back on that time in your life, uh, obviously a family business. Family businesses, uh, d- despite what many people might think, are pretty hard places to work. Uh, lots of expectation. Uh, but in, in those places, you get an opportunity to learn a lot of stuff. So what, what were some of the most important things you learned at Continental Products?
1: You know, uh, you're right. A, a family-owned business is a double-edged sword, but... Uh, you know what I learned more in seventeen years is is really just business, and and with a you know a psychology background and getting into sales, just sitting down and talking to someone is very easy to me. But the backroom stuff of the quotations, the documentation, mm. the putting the order process, all of those things, business negotiations, and you know one of the biggest biggest things I probably learned in, in moving through sales and getting into sales management is, you know what, the customer isn't always right. And that's hard. You mm. know, that's that's a hard conversation to have when you're talking about, you know, a conglomerate such as NET or Times Mirror.
0: Oh, that's cool. So you, you spend all these years and you're flying around and you're doing a lot of work for Continental Products. Uh, at some point in time, um, IMS, Information Management and Securities, uh, either becomes a, you know, a dream in your, an idea in your head. Where does IMS show up from? What's the genesis of your records and information management business? Did you start from scratch? Did you buy it? Tell me the birth story of IMS.
1: Yeah, sure. We uh, actually, we did start it from scratch. And uh, I've actually had several people over the last few years uh, ask about if I'm a franchise, which, you know, that's, that's kind of encouraging that means i'm putting something together with a good logo and good marketing materials but as far as the genesis of it um myself and a good friend of mine were kind of making our way to the latter part of our careers and what we were doing me at Continental products and him and banking and he he wanted to do something different i wanted to do something different and he came to me and said uh, i got an idea let's start shredding paper huh. and my first re- my first reaction was uh you no, but, uh, uh, you know, the concept, we started looking into it more, and uh, my former partner, and unfortunately I have to say former partner, he's not with us, uh, with me anymore, it, he wanted to buy a shred truck and start driving around getting routes, and I just, I wasn't comfortable with that, uh, um, just because it, you know, that just screamed commodity to me, and I just felt like we needed to be able to do something that was more all-inclusive, and hmm. So we did plant-based shredding, and uh, then I started pushing for box storage. And then when I started pushing more for scanning and imaging, document management, technology, you know, my former partner didn't have much faith in that, and so we kind of parted ways. But, but, um, but that you know, we kind of just really started evolving from the shredding of the paper and then working into the full spectrum of document management, and, and that's really how it evolved.
0: Wow. So you you get this thing started um the the hardest part for you early on what what would you say that was because i mean it sounds to me like you came out of an industry you knew very well into an industry you didn't know very well and you make this thing happen but i mean there's there's significant um factors in play when you're not buying a shred truck and you're buying plant-based equipment and you're thinking record storage there there's there's a lot of stuff involved in building this kind of business so what was hard for you what were some of the the I guess, the birthing pains uh, in the process of building IMS?
1: You know, um, early on, we were just doing everything we can to generate sales, Hmm. generate sales, generate, let's go get sales. And getting your foot in the door with shredding is is fairly easy. Um, And where I'm located, like I said, we're in north central Missouri, there wasn't the type of penetration like there are in the major cities. Even right. St. Louis, Kansas City, or you know, and, and going further east, obviously, there's been record management companies for a long, long time. But in this region, it was still kind of kind of new. And, you know, even saying I've got a shred console instead of you doing the shredding, we can pick it up, it, that was pretty new. And so really what we started was with our base. You know, I've, I've been involved in this community for a long, long time. Fortunately, I made a lot of connections. And so we, you know, you start with the people, you know, and right. you start building it from there. And, you know, it's just stepping stones. You just put, you know, walk, walk, crawl, walk, run, as they say. And so we started putting things together. And, and it's weird. You know, you look back on it and five years ago or five and a half years ago, whatever it was, I would just scream for somebody to be sending me an email. Now I, I'm like everybody else. I get 25, 30 emails and uh, most of them are stuff that you can avoid, but it, it's nonstop now, which is good. You know, it, it means the company's evolving, and, and that's what it needs to do.
0: So was, was part of, um, because this is a capital intensive business, so uh, especially when you go plant oriented, even in your shredding, a much more capital, you, you have to have a building, you have to have all those kind of things. How did you really fund this process? Because these are, you know, did, did banks just sort of line up and say, oh, yeah, we'll help you out? How did, how did you get this thing all to work for you?
1: Well, I was fortunate in the fact that when I was with Continental Products, I moved into a ownership role. And so okay. when I left Continental, I sold out my stock, and so I had some equity bills and and had a good reputation with with the banking. Um, so I had access capital, and and that was a, a, you know another reason that it didn't quite work out with my former partner. He he didn't have that opportunity. Um, mm. He didn't have that that capital, and so so I was fortunate in the fact that that. You know, I had that capital. I had the good relationships with the bank. I was able to get the lines of credit that I needed. And, you know, that stability, I was fortunate. Because if I had just started from scratch, you're exactly right. That's a lot to put out there. And uh, so that that's that's kind of how I've put all of that together. And, and you know, everybody tells you, you're not going to make money in the first three or five years. And it's easy to say it, but when you're living it, it's difficult. So yeah. So here I am.
0: Wow, very cool. So you're five years in, and uh, you, when you think about it, you said just to get yourself going, it was all about sales. It was all about generating sales. So when do you feel like you got to that point where you went, okay, you know, we're, we're starting to become profitable. Uh, what were some of the movements you had to make? Because I've obviously sales has to always be a, a priority focus, and it seems to me like your background was very oriented towards sales. Uh, but this business is very much a, uh, a, you know, an operations-focused kind of environment, especially with HIPAA and Sarbanes-Oxley and all the kind of compliance-related stuff that we now live in. Um, how did you sort of evolve yourself in those areas? Because to me, those are pretty important areas.
1: They are. And, and you know, that's where um, I felt like the technology piece was going to be the complement of that. So, you know, the way that we talk to people is saying, we can take care of the compliance issues, we can take care of the shredding, we can make sure that you're okay there, but what are you doing 10 years down the road? Hmm. Do you still want to continue in this paper, or do you want to try to work towards, you know, paperless is a myth. I, you know, everybody said, I don't think paperless can happen, but we always tell people, let's just start with less paper. You know, how do we, how do we help you? evolve out of paper and and, you know I even had a lot of people question me saying aren't you cannibalizing your own business aren't you you know by telling people to start getting into digital copies and document management you're cannibalizing your shredding and your box storage and you know so far that hasn't happened Hmm. Uh, it's it's a it's a means of putting it all together and and you know when you have that one-stop-shop type of philosophy you know you get more credibility and you know you you start answering more questions that that customers have and you say yes i can do that too yes i can do that too and it, it it just starts it just starts building
0: what's interesting about that is the the clients don't see the world like we see the world we tend to see the world in terms of box storage shredding Uh, digital, those kind of things. And we have these sort of categories based on our service lines, but clients don't look at their life from the perspective of our service lines. They look at it as this is the problems I have. This is the pain I'm experiencing. This is what I'm trying to figure out in the world. And they go from there.
1: Right. Right. And you know, what we tell a lot of people is that in the business that I'm in, you can look at records one of two ways, in my opinion, you can look at it from, this is archive stuff that I got to keep. I can't ever get rid of. It's taking up huge amounts of space. What do I do? And the other flip side is how do I improve my processes? How do I make my business more efficient so that I can do more with less? All of the old adages of, you know, how do I, how do I make more money? I, you know, my people are retiring. I don't want to replace positions, things like that. So whenever we talk to folks, we tell them, you hey, look, you've built a business. You know, there's, You've done all the right things. All I'm trying to do is help you to either stay in compliance on the archiving piece or help you improve going forward.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, most people are are receptive to that.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Uh, You've already talked about this sort of slightly different feel that you take, uh, which is more a holistic approach to information management. Uh, You said you sell cloud phone solutions. You sell software like Filebound. Uh, How have you found... um, sort of coming at it from that direction, adding all those elements? Because I know we've kind of discussed this, but from a selling perspective, how does the focus on those peripheral services, uh, what many of us in this industry would call peripheral services, how have they helped you and grow the business?
1: Well, and you know, and for, for me, I don't see those as peripherals. Yeah. I see those as a core of the overall comprehensive plan of what do you want to do with your records? Because you know you have to have them. Right. So what do you want to do? Do you, do you want to stay in your paper-based processes or do you want to try to evolve or do you want to do a hybrid approach? And so for me, it's all encompassing. There, there isn't a sales call that I go on or my sales guys go on that, you know, if they say, oh, we already shred our own paper. Okay, well, what about your boxes? Ah, we, we already got somebody else else's our boxes. Well, what about this? And there, there always seems to be a little bit of an opening and that's what you have to have in the sales process because, you know, if you're out there, selling a commodity, so to speak, you can get shut down very easily. And so I'm always telling my staff, how do we decommoditize the commodity piece? What do we need to do to decommoditize what we're doing? Because we don't want to play in a game. Right? It, you know, It's too hard to stay alive in that game. And so, like I said, for me, you know, I don't see the document management and the other pieces as peripheral. I see them as part of the core. And we just have to build that entire core. And knowing that know if we can tell the people first and foremost why we're in business then we can show them how we do it and then what we do those are the ancillary things and I think too many people start with this is what we do and this is why you have to buy it It, it's not about that it's why are we in business right you know those are the things we try to preach
0: yeah well it seems to me that uh, someone like you who has has such a sales orientation and, and really even talking about how to decommoditize a commodity. Uh, business is something that just, um, you know, is a such a cool point of view. But I, I also know that you're a marketer. Uh, you, and and I, I'm a marketing guy. And I love people who kind of think differently about marketing. So tell me about your marketing. I noticed you do TV, I noticed you do YouTube, social media. Uh, what else are you doing? And maybe step back from that and tell me what your perspective on marketing is specifically in this industry.
1: You know, uh, early on, uh, I was just trying to brand 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 re- name recognition get the logo out there do what you know expose you know get the exposure and now I can focus a little bit more on what's critical to the marketing and and I have found I've tried you know print media I've tried radio I've tried TV and I have found that if you do a commercial properly they notice it And how we do those television spots and how we build on that, that's how you get your brand out there. The other thing is, you know, community involvement. I'm a member of of, uh, seven different chambers of commerces. And not to just get the mailing list. We want to go to the business after hours. We want to be able to support the golf tournaments. We want to be able to put ourselves in a place that when the time comes, they've got our business card. And so we try to incorporate that, you know, and, and it was really a struggle for me until about the last year or so on how does social media fit into business. And I think a lot of people struggle with that and, and will continue to struggle with that. But to be be able to utilize social media, in my opinion, is not to sell something via social media. It's to be involved in social media so that people know where to go. I don't want to sell you anything on Facebook or LinkedIn or the other avenues, but I want you to know who I am. Right, And particularly you know particularly in this day and age if we do something wrong it's too easy for a client to it, you know send it through a, a Twitter feed I need to be able to see those feeds I need to be able to get the feedback if we're doing something right or wrong and if we're doing something wrong correct it if we're doing something right you know publicize it and so you know we've developed a newsletter we've just revamped our entire website uh, we've we've sent out a few surveys and I know surveys are in my opinion, it's starting to get a little bit of overkill, but we try to be real short and say, we want you to answer three to five questions. That's all we want. And then get that information and use it. Yeah. You know, Don't just do it so it's pretty, use it. And so that's kind of the focus that we take.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, I, I think uh, my, my other sense is that you've tried to add some personality to what you do, because inherently what we do is kind of boring. And there's this Grover character who keeps showing up in, in your videos. Who's Grover?
1: Grover actually is my uh, director of operations and purchasing. That's and, hilarious. Uh, that's just yeah, it's been his nickname forever. And, and kind of what we've done is gone on the theme of um, not really the old Geico, even a caveman can do it. But in a lot of the spots, he he's kind of like the Fred Flintstone. He's yeah. chiseling on tablets. He's doing the things that are archaic. And and all we're trying to do is personify the fact that. You don't have to do it like you did years and years ago. There's yeah. a different way. There's a better way to do it. If you can just, you know, and, and if we can bring some humor to it, uh, that's even the better. Because a lot of times you have to be very cur- careful to go to the clients and say, you know, we can do these things better. It, it could be taken as an insult. You know, the client can go, wait a minute. I've built a business. I've been in business for 50 years. Who are you to come in here and tell me that I have to change all my processes? Right. So we... We try to bring a little bit of humor to it to say, look, everything you're doing is great. We're just trying to help you do the next 50 years of your business. Yeah. So, so we kind of, you know, brought the whole Fred Flintstone kind of theme to it. And, and uh, so that's kind of how that evolved.
0: That's hilarious. So Mixergy is like, you, you know, you're, you're a who's who if you get on, on Andrew's podcast called Mixergy. How the heck did you show up on that show?
1: You know, that was just another uh, network opportunity of uh, someone, actually, that I went to high school with. And she said, hey, you know, uh, I'm an office assistant. What would you think about doing this? And and at that time, that was, a, you know, a couple of years ago. I was still in that stage of I'll do anything I can to get some exposure. Right, so, right. Uh, you know, it, it's all about networking. You know, if you if you go to some of the conferences and go to the trade shows, don't just sit in the audience. you got to get involved. It's, you know, business isn't going to just come knocking on your door. Yeah. You have to be out there and get it. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, fortunately for me, I, you know, I'm a fairly outgoing person, and, and I don't mind raising my hand in a group of 500. I'll be the one that does it. So it's just networking.
0: Very cool. So you've been at this for about five and a half years. It sounds like, um, what looking back have been the disciplines that have ultimately produced the best outcomes for you? What, what would you suggest and say, looking back are the things that have really been catalysts for the success that you've created?
1: Well, I you have to have a plan. You have to have some kind of vision. You know, you, you can't just open the doors and say, this is what I want to do for the next 10 years, because if you're standing still, people are going to go right past you. And so part of what I always stress to my staff is we have to be able to provide to our clients or our prospects they don't know what they don't know. And it sounds silly, but if there are opportunities out there and they're not aware of them, then shame on us. We need to we need to make them aware of it. And so you know as you're building a business, you're not going to have all the right answers. Everybody knows you're going to make mistakes. I've made a ton of them. But you know, just like anything else, you learn, don't do that anymore. You surround yourself with people that you know, that you can trust, that you start to be able to delegate some things to. And, uh, you know, that was one of the things going back to Grover. You know, he was my director of operations, but I also wanted to get him involved in purchasing because, as a business owner, as a salesman more, I'm easily sold as a salesman. Right. And so I needed to have a, person, a purchasing person from an objective standpoint to say, you know what? That's. That's great, but we really don't need to pave our entire parking lot right now. And, you know, for me, if a salesman's good, he's going to come in, and I'm going to go, sure, sign me up. And so, you know, there's certain things that you have to build uh, as you go, and, and you just you learn along the way. I, I wish there was an ironclad way to say this is how to build a business, but as far as I know, it doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. Wow, well, that's cool. So, if you could go back to May of 2008, knowing all you know today, what advice would you give yourself as you started IMS, and what advice would you give yourself specific to potentially having better success today than you might have already?
1: Um, in the early years, uh, I I wish I would have focused a little more on the numbers and a little less on the sales. Um, to try to just be a little bit more focused instead of a shotgun type of approach, just chasing sale after sale, after sale, wherever it was, I wanted to sign them up. So, you know, if there was one thing that I could go back on, um, I would probably back up and be a little bit more organized as far as a numbers guy. You know, I, am fine with numbers. Um, It's not my forte. I'd rather talk to people and sell them. But if I could, I'd go back and, and be a little more diligent on the numbers and and, again, it's an, it, it evolves. And over the last uh, three years, you know, we've put together a budget. We've put together a working budget. We want to stay on track. I've involved my staff in the budget. I ask them what they need, where they think we need to be. And, you know, it, it's hard to, to put together a budget when you start from zero. Mm. You know, you, you don't know what your income is going to be. Therefore, you don't know what your expenses are going to be. And so that has helped me you know, evolve a little
0: bit more over time and, and really kind of crunch those numbers better. Right, right. But but my numbers, are you talking specifically financials or even uh, key performance indicators, the numbers of these kind of businesses, the, the leading indicators, the lagging indicators? Is that what you're referring to as well? Or in that particular case, if you could go back, it was more the financial numbers?
1: It, primarily, I'm talking about the financial okay. numbers. Okay. But um, market share... Uh, availability, customers that are out there, uh, competitors. You know, I knew who the competitors were in the market, but I didn't pay that much attention. And now, you know, if, if you're not monitoring your competitors, then, then how do you know when they're going to sneak up on you?
0: Right? right.
1: And so, But primarily on the financial side, but uh, really the sales numbers and all of that. So.
0: Very cool. Well, Vince, it's been a pleasure to hear your story and to hear kind of your perspectives on how you've built this business and really some of the cool stuff you're doing. Um, if somebody were to come to you and say, because you're, you know, you've been at this five years now, and so in some respects, you're a relatively new company, but you, you've you sort of passed that stage where you're you're now profitable, you're doing some cool stuff. What one piece of advice might you give somebody who came to you and was thinking about starting this kind of business? What What advice would you give them?
1: slow <laughs> go slow don't try to run the marathon from the first day just realize that uh, you have to surround yourself with good people you know if the critical piece is getting with people that you know that you trust um, that uh, that you can rely on because you can't make every decision yeah. as, as the business grows you have to realize you cannot make every decision and you have to be able to trust the people that that they will that uh, that they can do it that they're in for the for the long haul and uh, so you know recruiting good people people you can trust i think is critical to building that base because if if you don't build that foundation uh, of a core a group of people it i just it's going to crumble yeah that that would be the main piece of advice you got to support your employees first everybody says put the customers first but you know what there's a a guy that runs a pretty doggone successful airlines that put his employees first. And I'm kind of following that mantra.
0: Very cool. Well, Vince, thank you so much for the time you've spent with us continued success at, at, um, at, uh, IMS and, uh, your, your business and, and, uh, the future. I I look forward to watching and seeing how your story continues to unfold in very cool ways. So thanks for being with us.
1: Well, thank you very much, Tom, uh, for for inviting me on. And, and if I could get a, give a shameless plug of uh, IMSSecure.com, I figured I'd throw that out there. So if anybody'd like to visit our website, feel free.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, we'll we'll make sure to link it from the show notes. But uh, appreciate it, and we'll uh, we'll send people your way. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Well, I got to say, that was a great story today. Thanks to Vince for joining us. Sorry about that phone line. What you might have missed, and uh, we tried to actually edit it out, is that we had to stop the interview midstream as the phone line on my end went completely wonky. Uh, In fact, just after I completed the interview with Vince, I actually had to. Uh, Our whole building went down in terms of uh, internet and I had to go reset our whole system after the fact. I'm grateful my producer Court Thompson worked his magic today and I think we've got it back to where you could actually understand it. So thanks to you for being here today. I hope you learned something to help you improve your business and special thanks to my good friends at O'Neill Software. I was thinking today about the charity partner they've chosen for the world famous record center challenge at the partner conference. And it's uh, St. Jude's Research Hospital. St. Jude's is a great story. Almost 70 years ago as a struggling young entertainer, Danny Thomas knelt in the church and prayed to to St. Jude Thaddeus, the patron saint of hopeless causes, which he felt he was one at the time. Help me to find a way in life, he said, and I will build you a shrine. That simple promise and his later success as a television star led Danny to found St. Jude's Children's Hospital, which opened in 1962. And that's the cause that O'Neill is celebrating and uh, fundraising for at their partner conference and with the famous Record Center Challenge. And you can learn more about it at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it for us. We're out of here. Have yourself a great week. We'll be back next week with another great show for you. See ya. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Inc. Join us again soon.